I'm Mason Toy, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm here with cal williams cal did you get to try the poutine in montreal uh no i didn't which is okay because i've had it before so it's it's not a complete okay. utter disaster how many kinds of poutine have you had uh i have had three different types the normal okay. one one with bacon and okay. there's like another one with some sort of different meat i don't know what it was so it now was great normal is Basically, fries, cheese curds, gravy. Yes. Okay. And then add bacon or some other. Add some sort of fabulousness towards it. And yes. It's even better than what it is, yes. So you're a fan of the poutine. I do. It reminds me of high school, actually, or even elementary school, actually, because that's literally, that was a dish in my school growing up, but it wasn't named poutine. It was literally chips and gravy. Right. Um, and it was glorious. It's amazing what they'll feed the kids. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But but this was in the 90s as well, by the way. So, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I'm not entirely sure that um, health and safety wasn't even a thing back then. So Right, you know. right, right. What was the, was that what the best lunch in your your, your school growing up? Or what, what was the what was the champion that you were like, you came up on the, the, the menu and you're like, yes. That was the one where I rubbed the hands together for okay, sure. All right. Yeah, that was it. That was amazing. And uh, I'm sort of regretting not getting poutine now. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to open old wounds. Um, I think in, in my high school, uh, sort of a dark horse favorite. I think that uh, the, the global favorite at least amongst my friends, was the chicken burger, which was like a like one of those chicken patties, you know, mm-hmm. with breaded and you know. So that was a classic. Um, I really liked the the hot turkey dinner, which is sort of along those lines, except it's turkey, where they were just the whitest, most average white bread, except not as good as like Wonder, because that's like too good. Yeah. And then like turkey, just whatever. I think it was turkey, I presume. And then a bunch of like creamy gravy on top of it, and it was uh, it was very cheap, but it was great. So. Well, I mean, it, it sounds a lot better than what I grew up with, mate, uh, in high school and elementary school because... Um, I mean, British cuisine, obviously, the envy of, of the It's world. not as bad as people say. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's just not as great as other things, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, the, the, the food I had at school was crap. Right. Um, and I realise that now, but at the time, it was like, oh, my word, this is unreal. This is fabulous. Um, a lot of sort of, you know, chips or, or fries rather and, and um, just like breaded chicken yeah. and stuff. And it wasn't great. I, I'm fairly convinced that some of the, some of the meats, I'm fairly convinced it wasn't, um, it wasn't proper chicken or whatever. It sure. was sort of what, you know, whatever they do with chicken when it's, it's not, uh, it goes through some sort of machine, not even process. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it, it, it didn't taste great. And then obviously we had mad cow disease going through sure. England at one stage. So uh, red meat was just a no go whatsoever. Right. So right. Um, yeah, that, they, those were, <laughs> those were dark days for sure. mate. Yeah. That's like, on the, I think there's a, there's a Simpsons. There's a scene in the Simpsons where there's lunch lady Doris is bringing in a box of meat and it says great, great F meat. 
mostly clown parts, hmm. um, which I think <laughs> is a fair description of probably most of the institutional food that's, that we ate growing up. Possibly, so. particularly in England. My, I, I, I don't remember anything from school. I, I hated school growing up. It was just, it was pointless <laughs> me going to school. It really was. Well, let's plumb your memory on the Montreal Impact mm. and the game against them on the weekend. Uh, let's start with, let's start with your, your, your from the hip firing uh, impressions of the game. Well, I must admit, Steve, I thought after 27 seconds, I thought we could be in for a long evening here. Man, I was like, <laughs> I, you know, just not, not flashbacks to earlier seasons of Minnesota United is not exactly correct, but that sense of, because it was so fast, it almost felt just completely like it's one thing to be scored on early. It's another thing to be scored on that quickly. It didn't feel, I will say it didn't feel exactly like, you know, Minnesota United had a history, especially in that first season of conceding the goal in the first like 10 minutes. I felt like this didn't, it just felt like, oh, we weren't quite ready for that kickoff. And then that happened. But yeah, it, uh, it felt like a, a bit of a hole right there. It wasn't great. And as I say, I thought to myself, this, this could be a firm kick in the teeth. This could, and then credit where credit's due. I thought Minnesota really reacted very, very well. Um, you know, I see Mason Toy getting all the headlines and everything, and quite rightly so. But Kevin Molino as well was yep. fantastic. That the two crosses to set up Mason Toy, the two ball, balls over the top, were unbelievable. That they were about as supremely delivered as as possible, mm-hmm. um, about as crisp a delivery as you can possibly imagine. And um, what I will say as well that the the first touch by Mason on both of his goals. He couldn't have touched them down any better because you know the the first one obviously it's he just sort of cushioned it with his um, with his thigh into his path mm-hmm. enough ahead of him so he can strike it and the second one he he puts it in a perfect place ahead of him so he can curl it into the the far corner. Um, it was a great result it really was and obviously Ethan did well to get the penalty. Um, so look I mean uh, I think I spoke to Adrian uh, in the lobby the evening before the game and and he was gracious enough to give me the, the team and everything. And um, I must admit my eyes widened when I saw the team. I thought I thought there'd be changes, but I didn't think it would be this much. Yeah, seven changes. So. And he, he said, yeah, um, look, obviously we've got an eye on the Open Cup, but also I have enough trust in the group that I've put out here that I think we can still get something. Mm-hmm. And they set up very much on the counter, 4-3-3, um, and I think the three bodies in midfield caused Montreal a few more issues than they thought they would. I think the big issue for Montreal is that they have Tidehair playing out wide. And I think it's it, he's not involved enough. He doesn't get the ball enough, in my opinion, and which, yeah. which was a blessing for Minnesota. And it has been for a couple of teams this year. Um, but I, I was in a coffee shop um, on Sunday morning in Montreal before we left for the airport. And uh, Remy Gald was on, on television or they were playing the, the press conference from the game. And, and he was saying, you know, we, we shot ourselves in the foot. We... We can't um, expect to win when we concede three goals, uh, which I fully expect a manager like him to say, but but also give credit to Minnesota as well, because, I mean, I thought, as I said, that the performance of Molina was really good. The first uh, 60 minutes, he was fabulous. Um, you know, I thought uh, I thought Lawrence Olam made a case for himself as well. I, you know, it, it's exactly why we signed him for, for games like that, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, I thought Rasmus Schuler was good. I thought... Um, Again, Gasper looked good. Um, and I thought the two centre-halves were were pretty good as well. It was an all-round good performance. And I thought Vito Manoni, again, you know, his positioning was very good for a lot of the efforts uh, that came his way. And he's made a really um, 
it, it was awkward, but a, an important save at the end when Sanya's cross was floating over the top mm-hmm. and he had to tip it over. Um, he had, had to really be at his best there, and, and he really, really was. And, um, you know, again, it just continues this momentum for Minnesota, the like of which we've not really seen since they've come into Major League Soccer. Yeah. And it's, um, it's great to see Minnesota finally <laughs> in a flow. And uh, now I'm really, really looking forward to, to the next few games. Yeah, the... Um... Uh, just to echo on a couple of things that you said, I think that the I remarked in our our, our Slack where I com- am communicating with the rest of the digital team during games that I'm just like you know low key Lawrence Olam, like you know just one of those guys where he's not going to be called upon to generate goals or goal scoring chances or things like that, but just to have a guy like that to step into these situations where you need depth in these these cup competitions and these tournaments and like these road games where you're rotating guys and things like that it's just you think back to i mean no no knock on them because they all had good moments but guys like Jermaine Taylor or guys like you know Colin Warner like who who played some of those roles Lawrence Holmes is just a step up from that yes. you know he's just he's got that security and that steadiness you know he's going to be able to you know help you out in games where uh, Ozzy's not available or Jan isn't available or you know situations like that so Great, great signing. Uh, again, Gasper looked good, you know, and then Hassani came on in the game. Um, but it's kind of fun to look at, you know, Toy sort of, you know, I hesitate to say, you know, rounding the corner exactly, but that's kind of what I think we're starting to see. I mean, I I, I did find myself thinking like, you know, you look back at the end of Abu Dunlady's first season and you were like, he's getting it. Right. And then he's, he's had setbacks since that point. So I don't want to just like jump all the way into the Mason toy hype train quite yet. Um, but the idea of having a 20 year old, you know, forward who's looking good. And then a pair of, you know, a, a, a left back and chase who's, who's also looking good. Young Hassani is young. He can play that central midfield role as well as playing backs, you know, for a team that was initially talked about this season as being one of the oldest um, in terms of average age, having guys like that who can start contributing it shows that there, there is a certain amount of youth that can come in uh, behind the guys who are starting, which is terrific. And then to your last point about the momentum, you know, just by the math, like taking nine points in a week um, is amazing. Mm. Um, and as I was talking to Ethan earlier today, and he, he was saying that's hey, funny because you look at your position before that, you'd think getting nine points, you'd be, you know, well clear. But the Western Conference is such a, <laughs> a knife fight that it's crazy. But I, I was really struck by looking back at these three wins, Cincinnati, San Jose, and now Montreal. Um, I'm struck by the fact that each of those wins was kind of a different kind of win. And each the kind of win that we've maybe seen before in isolation uh, from Minnesota United. But to see them sort of in sequence this way, where it's like, you know, uh, you pasted FC Cincinnati at home. Sure, that, you're supposed to destroy worst teams at home. Right. But if you lose that game and then you beat San Jose, it's like, well, sure. You, you want a must win game at home. You know, that's, that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But if they had lost the other two games, that would have, that would have just been the explanation for that. You go to Montreal, you're like, Oh, well it was a non-conference opponent surprise game on the road, but you couldn't hold your own at home. If you lose to San Jose or you, you can't fight off Cincinnati. You know, I could see Minnesota United in previous years taking one of these games because the team has showed flashes of being able to do all those things, but to do yeah. all those things sort of sequentially, it's like, it's just as, as encouraging a three game stretch as I feel like we've seen from Minnesota United and MLS. Yeah. It's, I think to me more than anything, Steve, the front line is now beginning, beginning to gel yeah. uh, more than we've ever seen before. Um, and what is it? It's, it's 20 goals in five games in all competitions. Um, that's a lot. And um, it doesn't happen very often. So it's, um, 
it, it's so great to see them all finally starting to understand what what uh, what's going on. Um, there's uh, a, a great sense that now individuals are starting to understand each other's games and and, and their um, fellow players' games and, and where certain players are going to be and whatnot, you know. And um, but but the one really, as as you've mentioned, and going back to him, Mason Toy. There is now more so than ever, and not that there wasn't before, but but now I think more than ever, there is a, a want, there is a desire, there is almost a need for him um, to personally want to get to the top. Adrian has said it before in the past about how nobody on the team wants to be a star as much as Mason Toy does. Mm-hmm. And the attitude that I last heard Adrian um, describe a player like that uh, by was, was Dom Dwyer and you know Dom has gone on to have a very good MLS career I think Mason already is so technically ahead of a lot of players his age that there's so much to come from this guy and the reason I bring up his want and his his lust for more um, it not only comes out on the field but off the field as well I, I said during the commentary that I was sitting sort of um, behind and to the left of Mason on, on the flight over to Montreal and he was watching tape that uh, Ian Fuller, the assistant manager, and Sam Lawson, the video analyst, had, had put together for him. And it was of all these centre-forwards uh, that have had success in Major League Soccer, like Kyle Lowry, in mm-hmm. particular Kyle Lowry, but Bradley Wright-Phillips, Joseph Martinez, I think Robbie Keane was in there, maybe even uh, there were one or two clips from Kun Aguero in the Premier League as well. Um, either way, you know, pristine forwards and... and what I thought was interesting was Mason wasn't just like watching them one after the other after the other. He was rewinding it back and stopping and pausing and watching runs and making little notes and everything. And he was really starting, and as I say, not, not that he wasn't before, but he was really starting to take it seriously, the mm-hmm. other parts of the game, the other little parts of the yep. game, you know. And I've spoken to the coaching staff about this, and I'm sure they won't mind me saying this, but Mason has taken a lot of work, a lot of work, because mm-hmm. he came in beyond raw. They saw the technique, they saw the technical side and what he had. But his reading of the game really needed some work to the point where at one stage it was it was there was a real timing issue with him to the point where they had to go as simple as throwing the ball up in the air and him sort of getting it right and, and jumping up at the right time and, and heading it back to them, just as simple as that. I remember watching a training session, it was mid-2018. And I can't remember who Ian Fuller had crossing the balls in for Mason Toy, but it was, you know, a drill specifically designed for the centre forward to, to be able to time the run and time the jump and the amount of momentum you have behind you um, before you execute a header and, and whatnot. And Mason was getting it all wrong. He was just nowhere near. And I could see, I could see the frustration in, in Ian Fuller, and I could see him thinking, why is this why is this kid not getting it? It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Um but credit where credit is due, they've stuck it out with Mason. Mason has stuck it out himself. And it's obviously played, paid due diligence now because, I mean, he, he looks like a completely different player. And isn't it amazing what a little run does for a goal scorer? When you score a couple of goals, Mason now is walking out, uh, walking all over the place with his, with his chest sticking out. Mm-hmm. And he, he thinks he is the business, which is great. I'm fine with the centre forward having that yeah. uh, sort of confidence. He'll, he'll go through a running game when he won't score goals. Right. It's the life of a centre-forward. Yep. You're not going to score every time. But now what Mason needs to do is continue this run. And I'll be really intrigued to see, actually, Steve, 
in what role he is involved on Wednesday in the Open Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that's impressed me, obviously the, the, the brace was impressive. And as you said, like his, his touch and his sense of, of positioning in those moments to score those goals was terrific. I've been encouraged back from, you know, his, the, that goal he assisted on for Kevin against FC Cincinnati, where he held up, he had that, that he realized yep. he couldn't touch the ball right there. Again, as, as the thing that we've seen with early on last season, a couple times he would be caught offside when he was getting minutes and things like that. Um, to hold up there and then also to get the ball back and to see the goal in front of him and realize Kevin has a better line to get it over to him. That was tremendous. Also tackled, you know, made that yeah. tremendous tackle, you know, to sort of, you know, cue that sort of wind ceiling goal again, you know, by Kevin. The um, sequence, yeah. So, you know, like the, obviously you want to see him, you know, that, that goal scoring coming to the fore. It's, it's very encouraging to see these other little marginal elements of, of the game also come to him because that to me is a signal that he is, studying um and learning things like positioning like and the value of getting that tackle as being the you know the 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 forward being the first defender and things like that so um tremendously encouraging i don't want to give him a big head i think adrian's pretty keen on it's like okay now you're a little swagger all right that you're not you're not there yet you know you have some goals yes there's a there's a there's a long there's a long road ahead still um yeah i wanted to uh also you the one of the first things you mentioned was uh molino and I wanted to sort of circle back to him a little bit because I, again, I also felt that his, his assists for those two goals were just as good as the goals themselves. Yep. And, um, it flashing back to seeing how good Molino looked at the beginning of last year before he went down with that injury. When he looked, I would say the, his first season with Minnesota United, he could kind of float a little bit. Like it didn't quite seem like he was, you'd see him in training. You're like, this guy can keep the ball at his feet. He can, he can dribble past anybody. It seemed like he didn't quite have that drive that first season here. Started that second season, you really saw some aggression. He played very well, and then he went down with that injury. So to see him running into this form where, like, I, I don't want to, I don't mean to disparage him by calling him like a poor man's Darwin, but I mean in the sense that like you see that ability to give both to do playmaking and to score goals from him, um, and that's a tremendous thing to have another guy like that because I think Darwin provides a lot of that, but a lot of the other guys in the team sort of provide one or the other, um, and so it's it's I mean that's a tremendous option to have, and and as Adrian has said, a terrific problem for him to have as he selects the <laughs> the squad. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, and and people. Um I remember at the start of the season, people were suggesting that, oh, you know, we should perhaps see what we could get for Molino. We should try and trade him away. I, had people forgotten what Kevin Molino was yeah. like? Yeah. I mean, and now that he has better players around him, let's be totally honest, compared to what he had in 2017 around him, <laughs> sure. he, he looks even better. So yeah. um, he, he's such a key asset moving forwards. Um, I'll never forget the season, um, the second season for Orlando in Major League Soccer when they came in. Obviously, he got injured the first year, but... Second year, it was something like um, eleven goals he scored and, and a boatload of assists as well. You know, it was yeah. it was great, and, and he proved his point there, in my opinion. But he he had better players around him, you know. So I think, yeah. um, you know, when I'm excited to see when him and Quintero get a regular run alongside each other, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think you know Ethan Finlay is the obvious choice up on the other side as well. So it's it's a formidable attacking line for Minnesota. Yeah. And regardless, and if you have, um, whether it be Toy or Rodriguez or Abu heads, you know you you know as a centre forward you're going to get service with those three behind you. So yeah. in my opinion, I will have no excuses in terms of scoring goals. So it's um, it's good. It's really good for Minnesota right now. And uh, let, let's hope it continues on. And you know, on a, on a historic run now, Minnesota are, um, in terms of wins and whatnot. We've never 
done this before since coming into Major League Soccer, and, and it's it's only going one way. It's it, it's Minnesota have hit form at the right time for sure. Mm-hmm. So speaking of cheering for winners, um, let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, before the tournament, I said that it, it felt weird to be rooting for the overdog after years of rooting for the underdog mm-hmm. in basically every situation, and that it was a little uncomfortable. Um, to sort of feel like you were, you know, sort of rooting for the team that was going to dominate the tournament. Now that it's done, I got to say, it feels pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, fi- I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you guys are, yeah. It's, um... <laughs> oh, that's right. This is not. A, I'm sorry. I have to rub your nose in the, uh, yeah. the lost England a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm, I'm getting a little bit sick as well. Sorry if you hear some coughing and You're just choked up because, because you lost the U.S. Women's National Team. I think it's just because there was no such thing as 4th of July. It was It's crazy the last four or five days <laughs> and just all this traveling and whatnot. Yeah, so apologies for the coughing and spluttering. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the U.S. were obviously the best team of the tournament and were deserved winners, no doubt. They have by far the strongest roster. Um, they have a, a head coach with a fabulous reputation in world football. They've got arguably the most famous soccer player in, in, in the world in, in terms of Alex Morgan. Um, they have an outspoken... I think outspoken, Megan Rapinoe is challenging her for I was going to say, they the have moment, an outspoken but, personality yeah. in Megan Rapinoe now, um, who's also a great footballer as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was always going to be them. As, as soon as... Um, what Once the US beat France, I thought the next test will be England, and, mm-hmm. and it was... But as soon as they beat England, I thought, no no problem now. you know. And I say that with all due respect to Netherlands and Sweden, but I just thought there's, there's no chance these guys can sure. can compete with, with the U.S. And it was only the Netherlands' like second uh, World Women's World Cup, I think, second or third or something. They haven't had a national team that was in the, in the Women's World Cup. It has, they have not been there very many times. Well, if, if that's the case, then, then well done to them. That's, that's fantastic, that is. And, and look, the one thing I will say is that U.S. soccer um, here – has a tremendous advantage on the women's side because of the NWSL and the collegiate system. Mm-hmm. Women's football here has has been the beacon for a long, long time, and it will continue to be so. Um, you know, the, the U.S. are an inspiration um, with regards to women's football around the world, and, and I, you know, I know a lot of clubs around the world have come here to seek that, to seek an inspiration and to see what's going on and why things are working so well here. Um, and, uh, you know, what I can say is that I think the the rest of the world is improving big time. Yes. I, I think, you know, England were about as best. That's probably the best side we have ever had. Yep. And it helps that the WSL in uh, in England is is growing rapidly as well. And, and now we're seeing so many more teams, you know, like, uh, for example, Manchester United only just got a women's team last year. I mean, how on earth is that possible? Right. But now they have a women's team because they see the value in it, which is great. Um, and I, I actually, I saw on, on an article, I was reading an article on the BBC website the other day, that the Manchester derby in the WSL in England is actually going to take place at the Etihad Stadium because they've had so many requests, ticket requests, awesome. that it's going to be at a, a you know a, a behemoth of a stadium. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, so the women's game is growing, particularly in England. It's growing rapidly at a really, really fast pace. And that was obvious <clears throat> to see around the entirety of the tournament that I thought the French team are great as well. Obviously, Lyon uh, keep winning the Champions League. The um, quality of football over there continues to grow. Um, but one thing that is still obvious is that the US are still leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. Uh, and they were deserved winners. And, um, you know, I, I, I 
thought it was fabulous. I, I thought they were deserved winners. The only thing, Steve, the only thing I had a little, I had a little problem with was Alex Morgan's technique in drinking the tea. I've got a teacher. I've yeah. got a teacher how hey, to drink it you, properly. You, can, you, know? you converted me. So <laughs> Alex Morgan, if you're listening, if you want to come on and have some tea with us anytime. Technique's all wrong, Alex. Yeah, you need, you need, some, you need some work on that. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so that was, it was the Netherlands' second appearance in the Women's World Cup. So well, well done to them. To them. Um, also a note, the, the NWSL is going to be, is, is uh, being broadcast on ESPN too, mostly I think, but ESPN family of networks um, beginning now that the, the tournament is over again. So awesome. uh, follow up, watch those teams. I mean, the Portland, uh, the, the thorns are, tr- thorns are great. tremendous. Um, so much fun. And uh, yeah, so keep track of that. A couple other things I wanted to bring up things that I had heard about. First of all, I saw a tweet where somebody said that their four-year-old uh, asked them, do boys play soccer also? Like after that yeah. win, which I think was great. Also, the U.S. never trailed in the tournament, apparently. Wow. Yeah. And uh, also one of my favorite things, which is from our good friend, Roger Bennett, uh, who, a friend of the pod. Yep. <laughs> he has, he has yeah, been, uh, are we big enough we can start saying he that? Is, he, is, he has been <laughs> on the pod. So um, uh, he was noting that, that Rose Lavelle in 2015 uh, watched the final with teammates from her amateur Seattle team at a pizza place. Hmm. And then this year, you know, she scored that goal that really sealed the win for the U.S. In the I love stories so, like that. Just tremendous. Uh, Rose Lavelle was great. Uh, we were really enjoying her, watching her at home. We, we came to Allianz Field and watched the first half, and then the kids couldn't really put up with it, so we went home and watched the rest of it. But um, uh, we, I, my, my oldest daughter, uh, who's really into Harry Potter, got a little more into it when I pointed out that she looks kind of like Ginny Weasley, who is uh, a, a fill-in seeker in Harry Potter. Uh, and I like, I like the strong Ginny Weasley uh, energy from, from Rose Lavelle, the very Irish, you know, she's got the, she's got the freckles and all that. Yeah. So, you know, like, I think I, that, that's great. Um, and the, I think that's going to be, it's nice to look at a tournament that's going to get better as you're saying, is that the competition ramps up, but one in which the U.S. is still obviously, you know, a favorite and a front runner, which is great. Absolutely. The, the key thing now, though, is for this to continue to grow, go and support the teams. Yeah. Go and support Orlando Pride, yep. Portland Thorns, Seattle Rain, Sky Blue FC, Chicago Red Star. Go and see them all. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the majority, what was fabulous to, to realize, Steve, was that there were so many of those players at the highest level in world football at the World Cup they apply their trade right here in the U.S., yeah. the NWSL. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to see that quality on a regular basis, go and support the NWSL. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's move along to the U.S. men's national team and their loss to Mexico in the Gold Cup. Okay, anyways, let's uh, let's look ahead to New Mexico United. Uh, so the Minnesota United is going to face New Mexico United, a championship, USL championship side, on Wednesday at Allianz Field. Have you gotten to look into New Mexico United much yet. Uh, no, it's I, only, this is only Monday. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know you've been, it's been a catastrophe. Last, I, I don't so. know. Is it Monday? I don't even know what day it is right now, Steve. Um, it's easy to lose track. You had a lot of games. So. Yeah. Um, no, I've not. And, um, but look, what I will say is from, from what I have seen is that for an expansion team in USL, they get tremendous crowds. Mm-hmm. They, I watched the, a note about that is that when they were playing Colorado, I believe it, I believe it was Colorado. I, I caught some of that game in the U.S. Open Cup, and I was like, "Is this taking place in New Mexico?" Um, and it was not. It was in Colorado, but the stadium was like nine tenths New Mexico United supporters. So That's awesome. we traveled there, which is great. So. That's awesome. But <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it, just looking at, at the roster now. I mean, I, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I know the head coach. Um, 
Chola Sensa. Uh, Adrian is. Adrian was saying he's known him for a while. As well, yeah, so. he's a young coach, and I, and I know. Yeah, Adrian was saying he used to go and watch their practices down in Orlando and whatnot. So he, he's pleased that he's doing well. Um, but in terms of, of recognizable names, I, I think going down the list, that, that there's a couple of, of former MLS names, and, and I think that the best one for people that they, they might recognize is, is Devin Sandoval, mm-hmm. who uh, was. One, one time with with Real Salt Lake and um, the big bruising centre forward and 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 no doubt I think he he will he will play his part no doubt I mean he's he's a a big target man and and look I, I suspect it to be well it, of the three or four centre halves Minnesota have you would assume it would be Opara and Boxall again but we, we don't know it could be Kalman in there as well we don't know sure um, but whoever whoever goes up against Sandoval will, will have a, a busy evening because he's a handful no doubt and. Um, you know, I, I would su- I'd be surprised if they came and, and, and wanted to play. I think they'll be very direct. Um, and I, I think uh, if, if, they can, if they can snatch a goal early, if they can get a set piece and, and play it into the big boys and whatnot, um, panic will start to, to hit in for <laughs> they'll Minnesota. Just go into, they'll just go into a 10 uh, Yes, absolutely they will. So, yeah. I mean, look, this, is a, this has been a tremendous season for, for them regardless sure. of, of the outcome um, on, on Wednesday evening. But uh, to get to the quarterfinals of an Open Cup in your expansion year in USL, yeah. that's really good going. So regardless of the result, they should be incredibly proud of their season. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this is the, you know, Obviously, they have they have now earned a reputation as giant killers, you know, uh, in in this yep. Open Cup uh, tournament. But of course, you know, in the earlier rounds, MLS teams aren't always putting their best foot forward. They're you know, and then you're also dealing with beating the Colorado Rapids team that was in complete disarray when they when they got to them and things like that. So you're hoping that maybe this is the moment when you know uh, this. Goliath just smushes David <laughs> in this situation. But there is also that danger of overconfidence. I mean, it's soccer. Uh, the margins are so thin. Again, 1-0 results in which you're even the better team, but you lose. That's not uncommon in this in this sport. So um, it, it's going to be – I think it's going to be an interesting game. It's one that, you know, fans should should come out and check out. You know, oh, it's, if you can make it to Allianz Field – go down there. It's tournament soccer. Um, that's going to be fun. Uh, it, it's, it's a good chance to check out the the stadium. There's only lower level seats. So they're not even opening the upper level for it because my God, we have so many games that yeah. people are already coming to. So it's going to be a fun atmosphere. The supporters will be there. They'll be in full voice. You know, it's, it's a great opportunity to see some soccer and to see a side like New Mexico United. That's not so different from what Minnesota United was, you know, a bunch of years ago when they were just, you know, scrabbling for a foothold in the NASL. So yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to come out because so, and I've only recently learned this, that there's, there's no, obviously there's no television broadcast from, right. from a Fox sports North point of view, because we can't do it. We don't have the rights for, for us soccer tournaments. Um, no radio because of the same, um, situation. It's on ESPN plus, uh, a, our very start, own... a startup ESPN. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. Of it, so. <laughs> uh, ESPN plus will be doing the game. Our very own Jamie Watson's going to be doing the broadcast actually, which is good for him. But, um, there's, uh, you know, it, it might be a little more difficult for people to, to just casually turn on the television and watch the game than, than yeah. usually. So so I would suggest come out to the game. Um, yeah. There are still tickets left. I think there's going to be, you know, a good crowd there. As, I mean, it's the Open Cup quarterfinals. Where yeah. wouldn't there be? But I would suggest people go down and check it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a historic night for Minnesota United. We've never been this far in the Open Cup right. before. Yeah, I got to say the, uh, the, uh, the last Open Cup game... Um, Again, I felt like because of the fact that, you know, the, first of all, the season ticket base, season ticket holder base is, is, is very robust for Minnesota United. These games are not included in that base. So that means that a lot more tickets open up. The last Open Cup game that, um, that I was at, 
uh, you know, at Allianz Field. The crowd was just super young. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the tickets, the tickets were a little cheaper. Uh, I feel like a lot of soccer clubs came out. A lot, you saw a lot of teams with lots of kids from all kinds of different, you know, ethnicities and backgrounds and stuff like that. It's a fun energy. You know, it's it seems a little maybe a little younger. Again, it's an opportunity for people who you know to to get tickets that that are affordable. So it's terrific. Um, a, a chance for you to come out and see the stadium if you haven't, because yeah. let me tell you. If Minnesota United win this game and get to the semifinal, you've got no chance yeah, of getting the, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to get serious at that point. So, okay, so this is an incredibly busy st- stretch of games. Let's talk about FC Dallas a little bit because we're not going to get to. I know, right? You're exhausted just already on this podcast. So, yeah. um, you need a sub. You should. We, it's the 32nd minute. Where's um, Jamie or Kendra? Let's yeah. get them in. <laughs> All right, FC Dallas. This is another team. I've sort of. This is another team that's in and around the same sort of spot as the Loons in the Western Conference. I feel like. LAFC and LA Galaxy are sort of the top tier. Seattle is maybe getting in. I mean, they looked top tier. They stumbled a little bit. They've dealt with some, you know, injuries and, and player absences and things like that. I expect them to be in that top tier. Correct. Going forward. Yes. Then I think there's sort of this, this tussle in the sort of the four through seven area, which would include to me currently Minnesota United, FC Dallas, San Jose, Houston, maybe RSL depending, um, but they're sort of right into that, that area. This just seems like another one of those games that if Adrian says San Jose is is the most important game in team history and then they win that game, this now becomes the next most important game because you got to fight off those teams that are in and around the same spot. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, this FC Dallas game will go down as the most important game in Minnesota United's MLS history because they are it essentially should the standings stay like they do, which I don't see no reason why they won't because of the games on Friday, it'll be fourth against fifth. Mm-hmm. And a chance for Minnesota to go even higher up to third. Minnesota were in third for all of <laughs> all of three or four <laughs> minutes. Briefly. Until Ladero popped up and got a 96th minute winner in Columbus to, yeah. to hoist the Sounders up there again. But, um, you know, it, it's um, it's such an important game Credit to FC Dallas for the season they've had because I think a lot of people thought this could very well be viewed as a rebuilding year yeah. because they brought the young coach up through the academy, Luchi Gonzalez, yep. who's only 37, 38. They didn't make any major off-season signings. That they, As Dallas often do, they, they go about their business fairly quietly and they bring in a, a couple of South Americans that they pluck from from Argentina or Colombia or whatever, you know, and sure. um, they, they have a very good, um, good scouting system. Um, and better than than most at the homegrown system. I think it's only the Absolutely. Red Bulls that have got more homegrown players than them. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a credit to them for the season that they've had. Um, and this by no means is just an easy game. No. Um, you know, that they they have uh, they've been very good over the last couple of games. They they beat DC United 2-0 over the last uh, last weekend. Could have been 3 or 4, probably should have been 3 or 4. They they play some lovely football. They've got this fabulous uh, attacking midfielder who is wonderfully named Paxton Pomical, yep. who is 19 years of age, a USA youth international, who has been dubbed as the next big thing in US soccer. Um, he's flirted with the first team for a long time. He's now got his, his run. Um, there are a sprinkling of young players who I think we will hear for the 
the best part of the next 10 years, Ja'Cory Hayes, I'm a big fan of midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie Cannon, the right back, who's only 21, who, of course, uh, played, I think it was five games in the Gold Cup for the USA. Yep. Um, he's full of energy and, and will be uh, explosive on that right-hand side. Um, but they've also got a couple of experienced players as well. Uh, Rito Ziegler, who played for Tottenham, um, played for Juventus at one stage as well, and, and Sampdoria in Italy, and... and uh, Luzerne and Sion and won a couple of titles in Switzerland. Um, takes, takes their penalties, I believe. He does, yeah. At least he's a man of, of tremendous experience. A defender taking your penalties. So. Bizarre, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, That's what we're coming to. <laughs> so, um, you know, look, they, they, they have some good players, no doubt about it. I'm a big fan of Mosquera when he's fit as well, the Colombian designated player. Um, and, uh, the um, Arangis, the uh, Chilean mm-hmm. midfielder is a, a, a very handy uh, attacking midfielder as well. So um, Dominic Badgie can score goals when he's given service as well. So um, again, I, I I would usually expect a lot of teams now, Steve, to come to Allianz Field and, and play a little deeper and, and, and hit on the counter from time to time. But I actually think Dallas will come in and try and play a bit of football, you know, mm-hmm. and they've got a, a new Acosta in midfield now. Um, who I believe it's Honduran, I think. He a designated player. Um, so many Acostas. He, uh, he he looks good so far from what I've seen, um, and they've obviously just sold uh, Gruezo, uh, who's who's gone off to the Bundesliga for about four and a half million dollars. Um, so, uh, look, I mean, they invest very very smartly, and then mm-hmm. they sell their their investments off and, and make a profit, and then go back down to South America and go and buy whoever the next big thing is in Colombia or uh, you know Honduras or whatever. Um, there are an abrasive attacking team. I actually think they're going to come and actually try and play a little bit at Allianz Field, which which may work in Minnesota's favour. Um, sure. But no doubt, this right now, and we could say this about the next 10 games for Minnesota United yeah. because the Western Conference is yeah. so, so tight. Well, um, everyone you win just puts you into another situation where I was like, well, then now the next one becomes... <laughs> it's, it's just about keeping, keeping up the pace or, or indeed setting the pace now. You know, yeah. I think... Um, you know, uh, Minnesota can go up to third with a victory, um, at least again for, for a little while until the Sounders play at least. Um, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but that's fine. I'm fine with, with Minnesota and Seattle just continuously swapping third and fourth. That's fine because regardless, that's a home playoff game. If the season were to finish now, Minnesota would host a playoff game. Yeah. Allianz Field would host a playoff game. Yeah, that's going to be the thing is that, that that four through seven because the new playoff format, you know, that, that number one seed will get a bye. And so you're talking about home field advantage for two, three, four, right? So if you can get that fourth spot as opposed to that fifth spot, that's a huge difference. And yeah, it gets to, to uh, you know, to paraphrase Adrian Heath, as he would say, it gets no easier because, you know, after FC Dallas, it's, it's Real Salt Lake. Which is a tough game away, my yeah, word. It's going away to them is tough. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, who are not, I mean, obviously they got <laughs> pants by LAFC. That was a tremendously entertaining game, by the way. That was intriguing. Um, but then after that, Portland Timbers, you know, who are climbing up, who are climbing up the, God, the table. It's a massive game. FC Dallas oh. again after that, you know. Oh. So there's there's just a lot of challenges coming up ahead. So and not to mention that, like if if the team wins um, the against New Mexico United, this sets up either facing LAFC or Portland. Um, man. Neither, uh, neither of those teams are teams I really want a piece of, especially if you have to go to Portland. So No, but this is, 
If you're going to win a cup, Steve, these are the teams you've got to play and you've got to play, haven't you, you know? I know. Um, yeah, Paxton Pomichol, uh, terrific. And I think that Dallas, you know, they they went through their ups and downs recently, but a lot of that was because of missing him for, you know, the U-20s. He was a little, yep. he had a knock, I think, just before heading out for that. So, um, yeah, he looks terrific. Uh, really looks the part. And um, for Ferreira as well, who's who's actually the, the son of FC Dallas legend David Ferreira, who I believe oh. Jamie Watson played with, actually. Ferreira, David Ferreira on his day was was fabulous and one of the best players I've ever seen don the Dallas jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, his son's not bad either. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I believe he scored um, a couple of weeks ago, a very, very good goal. And uh, he started up front against DC United and caused them all sorts of problems. He's only 17, 18. Yeah. Uh, so he's certainly one to watch for the future as well. Yeah, I've, I'm looking forward to seeing the game. I I've, I've, haven't gotten to see a whole FC Dallas game. I've watched um, some highlights. I've watched Baxton Pomichol and stuff like that. But um, I haven't gotten, I've gotten to really get into watching a whole game with them. And I'm excited about that. I am excited after watching that LAFC game against Vancouver. I'm looking forward to playing LAFC eventually as well. So, I mean, I, I'm not looking forward to it in terms of, uh, you know, Perspective wins. Your nerves. But man, <laughs> Mark Anthony Kay. Talk, oh. talk about a world destroyer. Well, one like, of the most uh, underrated Oldham Midfielder Appreciation Society. Yeah, where Big is it? Time. It's right here. Um, yes. Just fabulous. Amazing. And to come from, you know, the, the story of, of being, uh, of getting cut, going to the USL, you know, coming back to this and you just see that like, he's long, he's fast. Like that whole team is big and nasty. I was saying, I said this earlier, we recorded a fantasy 15 with, with Jamie earlier today that, you know, as a fantasy manager, you're only allowed three people from any team. This is a new rule this year. It used to be four. So I often find myself sitting there going like, well, do I want to take Rossi or do I want to take Vela? You know, like these are these, cause you have two forward spots. You don't want to uh-huh. double up on them. Do you want to take K or Atuesta uh-huh. or, or blessing? Uh, you know, could they be rotated? Do you want to look at, you know, when, you know, like some of these guys, I'm watching that game and I'm like, they're all out there. Like, uh-huh. like LAFC has an easier time picking the team than a fantasy manager does because they have all those guys. Like to see Atuesta and Kay and Vela and Rossi all out there at the same time is like, man, they're, they're fabulous to what watch. What do you do against that? And, and just going back to Kay as well, the goal he scored was was Oof. flawless as well. Worldly. If you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend you go and look at it. Um, I wonder how Greg Vanny at Toronto is feeling after not giving right. him the opportunity, yeah. as you mentioned, him going down to Louisville and, and doing ever so well winning US, USL Cup and, and then him going on to LAFC. I wonder how he feels right now because I guarantee yeah. you somebody like Kay alongside Michael Bradley makes Michael Bradley a heck of a lot better. Yeah, uh, And I'm not saying Bradley's been bad, but him just having some sort of protection and a play like Kay alongside Bradley right now would be unbelievable for TFC. Yeah, missed opportunities. Ah, well, well, we love the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for joining us for the 64th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Wednesday, July 10th at Allianz Field in a quarterfinal U.S. Open Cup matchup against the USL Championships, New Mexico United. That game, I think this is also the only possible State United versus State United matchup in U.S. soccer. Somebody yeah. wants to check on that. I think I, I think this came out when, when this matchup happened, but so it's... You know, New Mexico United versus Minnesota United. So, anyways. Battle of the United. So Battle go. of the United. Two Uniteds enter, one United leaves. That game <laughs> kicks off at 7 p.m. Central Time. You can stream that game on ESPN+. Plus. But again, come down Allianz Come to Field. the game. It's going to be great. If you haven't been yet, great opportunity to check out, see some tournament action. It's it's uh, it's going to be stupendous. Uh, I, I love going to Allianz Field. It's tremendous. I'll be walking around. I might buy you a yeah. beer, maybe. All right. All right. Maybe I'll walk around. I'll let my intern, Billy, do all the work. Sorry, Billy. Your Netherlands team lost. Sorry. <laughs> 
Take, take your sadness. Um, be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entrus. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>